My name is TJ Joseph, and I am a second year at the University of San Diego, majoring in Ethnic Studies, and I am here with Dr. Vierino. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Well, my journey began, okay, okay. in 1968 with a gigantic conference, student conference here at San Diego, here at San Diego State, mm -hmm. at, uh, at uh, Aztec Center. And uh, I brought four busloads of students from the Imperial Valley, okay, at the request of our, the guru, Dr. Gasegade, who is the founder, and we see him as the father of Mexican-American studies, okay? Mm -hmm. and he brought six faculty members, three women and three men, and uh, I was one of the men. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... We had to do something about getting our students in, in, in college. We had worked hard enough to get them out of high school because they were dropping out like flies. So we, we began an organization called AME, Association of Mexican-American Educators. And that was to get the students out of high school because they were going to work you know, instead of graduating. So we finally achieved that. And the next step was, well, what are we going to do now? And then that visionary man, Gasegade, okay, critical thinker, so, well, let's get them to the university. So they had this giant conference. Hmm. Uh, Bert Rivas was the director of EOP then, okay? And Alurista was very popular at that particular time. Gas Chavez, Art Casares, or Gaspar Oliveira were at the vanguard of the male students, okay, on campus. They had just turned from you from Mayo to Umas to Mecha. Okay, they settled in Mecha, so they were the leaders of Mecha. Then we had what we call the Seis Chingonas. Yes, it was Eta Valenzuela, later Gus Chavez's wife, Sonia Lopez, Viviana Cermeño, Felicitas Nunez from Brawley, uh, Blah 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 blah. Let's see, what number am I for? Maria Casares from Brawley. The sixth one evades my mind at this particular time, but there mm -hmm. was, anytime we want anything done, we sent them out there to take care of business, and they would take care of business. Okay. So, we founded the Department of Chicano studies, then, mm -hmm. okay. Later on, politically, we changed it to Mexican American studies, okay. Mm -hmm. But we tried to get in the university, get us, we, incidentally, all of us had master's degrees, all six of us. Okay? Mm -hmm. We had our own specialties, and we tried to get ourselves in the different departments that wouldn't have us. Well. So, Gus went and talked to the then President Love, Vice President Joy, and Vice President Gross. Love, joy, and growth. And uh, somewhere, somebody, I'm not going to tell you who said it, it could have been the president now, formed your own department. And I, I, I know that Gus Chavez, was, uh, that uh, Gus Egale was responsible for that, okay? So we formed our own department, and we were the envy of the university because we were under the umbrella of the administration. So we had what we wanted. Later on, we became 
part of the School of Professional Studies, which hmm. we, we got there because they, they accepted us. But later on, we went to the School of Arts and Letters, which is the academic arm of the university, and that's where we belong. And we're there ever since. Incidentally, to jump some 53 years later, the dean of the School of Arts and Letters is here in his facilities, Dean Marini, who said, <laughs> you guys have a mini-university. <laughs> <laughs> because we had all these different mm -hmm. you know, teachers. And uh, it was then that we wanted to keep our students in the university now. But see, they were dropping mm -hmm. out of high school, we kept them there. Now we want to keep them here in the university to get their degrees. So one avenue that I thought was through music to keep the students mm -hmm. in my classes. So I developed La Rondaya Amerindia, the slide, coined Amerindia by Alurista, okay? And uh, our thrust was to support the farm workers 24-7. Mm -hmm. We committed ourselves. In fact, we marched up and down with, with Caesar. And when he called us, we were there. You know. And we borrowed cars to go, and sometimes we used uh, state cars to go. Yeah. Because we were going to conferences, you know, and I used my name, I'm going to this conference, and we were. We got, we got started, and um, Along comes 1970, hmm. two years afterwards. See, a lot of things happened in 1970, guy. Grief strike, let us strike, Catholicos por la raza, you know, all of these, bilingual education was way up there. The Chicano, the Chicana women's movement was getting off the ground. In fact, I don't know if you remember the, the chair of the Chicano Federation, Estelle Chacon. Oh, yeah. She said at a conference that we had, you know, uh, the only thing these vatos are going to understand is nalga power. Everybody cringed. In fact, when I gave it, went to the University of Wisconsin, the head of the Chicano Studies Department there, when I told him, they said, oh, that is tough. <laughs> and we're going back uh, with this conference and Kenneth Moblanco was the captain of the Brown Berets, Las Buenas Cafes, he said, Las Buenas Cafes. And it was about noontime. He says, Mi reloj dice que son las doce y yo quiero que chinen esos sartenes. Felicita Núñez, que era romántico, cuando te llamaban a la chinada en tu pinche cabeza, ahora le vale pura jabula, puro, you don't have to take the pinche pedazo, si es esa. But that, that all eminently is a result of that conference, okay? And of course, we, we were playing. We began La Rondaya in 1972, 71. But prior to that, we were singing already because Católicos por la Raza came in 1970. The taking over of the Campanile Tower was 16 days before the taking of Chicago Park, April 6, 1970. You know, and mm. Gas Chavez, uh, Gaspar Oliveira, Spider, do you remember Spider? Oh, yeah. I forget his, his name. It's, we go by, by nicknames, Ricardo, okay? Ricardo Jimenez. Hero Blanco was standing by the door so nobody would come in. We wait, 
took the flag of Basanan up there and waved it on top of Campanile Tower. As 1970, along with with uh, simultaneously Catolicos por la Raza, and it's all done by Mecha. Okay, everything is was that started by Mecha and finished by Mecha. And so we we, we took a, a bus over to because the takeover of of uh, that little town near Descanso, Camp, Camp, Camp Oliver, Camp it's Oliver, a, a Catholic organization took it over because we were complaining against the Catholic Church because they had never been kind to the Rasa anyway, you know. In certain respects, they were had discrimination against ethnic groups and also racists because in the church, they would put Mexicans, blacks, Native Americans on this side and whites on this side in the mm. church. Tell me. Well. <laughs> what do you call that? Segregation. <laughs> So, we're complaining about that. So we, were, we slept in the gully that night. The following morning, we got up and went to church. It's on a Sunday. We marched to church. The brown berets were on this side. Gus Oh, incidentally, I called Gus and told him, hey, Gus, no. hey, we're here in, in this council, man. We want to take over Camp Oliver. He said, let's take it. <laughs> <laughs> Slept in a gully that morning. We went to church, and of course, he was on this side with the military guard. And we went in the church. Ooh, mm. man, that congregation was scared. I said, We filled that church up. And the the procession was a large procession, you know. And uh, of course, singing all all along. And we, we did everything with music. Okay, mm -hmm. music is very therapeutical. It's like a magnet, you know. And uh, Anyway, we, we had that all in the 70s. Then, all of a sudden, marching with Caesar. And then comes the takeover of Chicago Park, April 27, oh. 22nd, 1970. Sounds like a busy year. And that was a very busy year, okay? And our music began to flourish. And so we played in different places. Mm -hmm. Darondaya played pro bono. We never charged mm -hmm. anything. But we did take donations and we had a scholarship fund. At mm -hmm. the end of the year, we'd go to the colleges and give our money out. Nice. And one thing led to another. And 2023, here we are. And um, what would you say like influenced you the most to make Chicano music? Well, all, all, all the activities surrounding us, and then the music that accompanied that, you mm -hmm. know. Is, music is just like a magnet, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it draws you, and it draws people in, too. So I would say that uh, all the activities that were around that time draw, drew us mm -hmm. toward that, and uh, also followed the music. At the same time, I was developing the rondaya, you know. Oh, now, now let me tell you, La Rondaya is a, is a musical ensemble, okay, Rondaya, of guitar okay. playing and singing troubadours. Troubadour means that you're walking around, okay, mm -hmm. and uh, so I developed that and given all our particular support to Cesar Chavez, 24-7, and we had to be make, make sure that our students were studying at the same time, because mm. we wanted to get them out of it. 
So you were a professor out of high school, school? Then I to get them out of the university, get the degrees, and go work. Wow. And, you know, it, it's worked. Nice. And so you were a professor? I'm a professor at the Department of now Chicana, Chicano okay. Studies. Okay. began with Mexi uh, Chicano Studies. The administration apparently uh, was not too keen on Chicano study, the term. Mm -hmm. Not not word Chicano, but the, just uh, the term. And uh, so they said, we turned it to Mexican-American studies. Later on, we changed it to Chicano studies. And then later on, Adelaide del Castillo coined Chicana, Chicano studies. Okay. C, C, S. Chicana, Chicano studies. But check, check it out. C, C, S. Yes, it is. C, C, S. <laughs> uh, very clever, okay? <laughs> And uh, I chaired the department in '72. I interim chaired it in '76. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to, and then of course my gigantic classes. You know, yeah. it was growing by leaps and bounds. In fact, I had more women in the Department of Mexican American Studies than women's studies had faculty. The chair of women's studies called me that said that I had a harem. Mm. No me quería. Of course, the other schools didn't like us either because we were going under the umbrella. And then all of a sudden, we went into the schools watching letters under the, the watch of Dean Marini. It's here. And what would you say is the most meaningful, what is most meaningful to you about being a professor and being able to connect with students? Well, to begin with, you know, if you're a professor, you're there because you love students. You want to transmit mm -hmm. your, your, your knowledge to them, okay? And uh, every professor knows that he has something to offer, you know. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, to say at least. And then those big classes, I had a couple of, of uh, TAs to help me. Mm -hmm. But uh, we got through. Hey, and we, like I tell you, I, I don't know, but President Loves, well, I've seen five presidents come and go, okay? President Golding's daughter took my class. The president's daughter. And she gave me a glowing evaluation to the president, man. So he had a different look at, at our department, he, you know. And then to boot, you know, El Indio, Rafael Pesqueira is, was on the, on the trustees. I had his daughter in my class, and I would give my students outside activities, you know, to go visit these places in the music class where music was played. Hmm. The folklore class, different areas, but we knew that the, the Logan Heights communities and Isidro, etc. Five outside activities in each class. Hmm. So Rafael went to one of our ideas. He liked it, man. And. Uh, they were coming down on, on, on departments because they had too much fat. They were good cut fat. And they were, the Board of Trustees were in a meeting. And uh, who was at the head of that fat cutting? Chicano, Chicano Studies. Chicano Studies. It wasn't Chicano, Chicano Studies. They were Chicano Studies. Rafael heard that and says, wait a minute. <laughs> Why do you have this department here at the head of this? There's no fat to cut here. <laughs> it's not that, man. <laughs> All because mm -hmm. I had their daughters in, the class, mm -hmm. in my class. Well, that's and they, really interesting. Hey, they loved it. I trans transmitted to them. But no, it's... 
you're there because you have something to offer and um, mm-hmm. you like to, to be around people. Nice. And, and of course, you, as Dr. Purillo knows, you either publish or you perish. That book and my other book were published by McGraw-Hill. You know McGraw-Hill, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, leading publishers, man. And nobody in the department has been published by McGraw-Hill. So oh. when the committee looks at your work at McGraw-Hill, oh, okay. they rubber stamp you. Hmm. And let me ask you a question about um, Chicano Park and its relation to the San Diego State University. Like, do you think that like getting students to go out to like different places in the community has like strengthened the connections between San Diego State and like other parts of San Diego? Just repeat that one. Okay. I was going to say, do you think that getting your students to go out and explore parts of the Chicano community in San Diego has like strengthened the connection between your university and the like Logan Heights community? And oh, definitely, yes. Yeah, you get to know the, the, your community. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh... oh my goodness, I... you know, their evaluations tell you about that. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh... And this reaches the, the, greater, the greater community, okay? And so they got to know us better as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And they got to know the, the, the community better. Because the community is a large community, okay? Yeah. It extends all the way to Escondido and all. Okay, um, so next I'm going to ask you more about your pillars, and so I wanted to ask, like, what does your pillar mean to you, and through music and everything that you have done? Well, the pillar is made up of, I'm not going to say a litany, I'm a, uh, but I will say a montage mm-hmm. of Chicana and Chicano musicians, mm-hmm. each of them with their own expertise. And their music reflects their contributions to Chicano Park. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that at, at that pillar, you're looking at a variety of minds that are bringing their talent and making Chicano Park what it is today. Mm-hmm. Of course, under the leadership of the Chicano Park Steering Committee, mm-hmm. who they are the the, the, the the main focus of the handle Chicano Park. And your visionary, uh, uh, Tommy Camarillo, okay, mm-hmm. she was tremendous. I have a lot of respect for that, that woman. And uh, with their support, we, we managed to meet the demands of the of, of the of the steering committee because mm-hmm. they, they they do have their protocol that they follow, and you and you abide by that. Yeah. Okay. And that's very important too because it, it, it is them that made, have made Chicano Park. Not because Alberto's here, but he's, mm-hmm. he's one of them. <laughs> and speaking of the steering committee, um, how do you feel about the new museum that's been created in Chicano Park and what does that mean to you? Well, <clears throat> that museum is 
has everything of the community. Every organization that has had something to do with Chicano Park, they have a pillar and mm -hmm. they have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. And this evidence all the way back to 1970 went with the takeover of Chicano Park. Yes. And it's been growing and growing and growing. And finally, you have a museum that reflects all these contributions. See, so when you go and look at that, wow, there's a lot of history there. Yeah. And uh, that's what we try to depict it, our music pillar. Mm -hmm. And within the history of your pillar, what would you say are some of the biggest struggles that you've faced um, throughout your time here? Man, we're always struggling. It's one struggle after another. The farm workers, when we were marching, hey, we were subject to hassles from from goons and who threw rotten eggs at us, rotten tomatoes, and uh, called us names, and even urine threw it out mm. us. You know, we had to go through all of that, mm -hmm. but nonviolence. Like Gandhi said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna. Be victorious non-violently. So mm -hmm. Cesar Chavez and Martin Luther King followed that. And that's what we did. No, you could not. I mean, you, you just kept on marching, man. Let him throw things at you. Dang. Did anyone like try to get in like physical altercations while you were marching and no, stuff? No, like no, no. You, that was a no-no, man. You don't mm -hmm. want good Chavez to come out and down on you. You can get him later. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then. Once again, Chicanos por la raza, and taking over Camp Oliver. That was a struggle, man. Mm. Oh, man. A lot of us got thrown in jail. Wow. As a result of that, you know. And like I say, aquí estamos y no nos vamos. Yeah, one mm -hmm. struggle after another. Chicano Park is a struggle, man. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, they promised a little piece of land in the Logan House community, and then the next day, the city of San Diego says, Chale! We're going to make a highway patrol substation mm -hmm. here. And then uh, when that happened, you have all Solis was going by and seeing all the, all the tractors there and start calling him, Hey, the tractors are coming. He's, we call him the Chicano Paul Revere. <laughs> and pretty soon, it, you know, it resonated throughout, throughout the university. Everybody came. We stopped our classes. God says, God says, stop your classes and go over there. Let's go. So we went. So when you say who was the founder of that, all of them were. Mm -hmm. You can't name one particular single person. You can name some that that were part of it, like Laura Rodriguez. You know, I did a, wrote a ballad about her. And mm -hmm. uh, the, this was a powerful lady, man. So powerful that when the Republican Party had the conference here in San Diego, President Bush made an appointment to see Laura that went over to the, the clinic to see her and named her the 1,000 one of the 1,000 points of light that I mentioned in my ballad. And I said, that little 1,000 points of light shines after midnight in Chicano Park and that is Laura Rodriguez taking care of the park. Mm. Yeah, but she was, then the, the Chicano Free Clinic was started by her then now it's, oh. they've changed names. But, we used to have our in the barrio there, and their, their main dish of tamales. They would sell tamales right all over the place. So like, like community-based like shops, like sounds like clinics, hospitals and stuff. That sounds really neat. Well, another, well, another thing that Laura did was uh, she shut down the welfare office on 25th Street. 
She saw two young ladies, well, well dressed. You go, where are you going? We're going to get our welfare checks. Welfare checks. She's sixty-five year old. If I can work, you can do. Enjoy your checks. You won't get another one. She goes there. And now in 2023, it has been 53 years since the land takeover at Chicano Park. What can you say has, in your opinion, has like improved and what do you think could still is there to work on within that community? Well, in, in my mind, Chicano Park, and up, up, right again, I could I talk about that Chicano Park Steering Committee. Hey, these guys work there. Yeah, and they... Their best interest is what happens in the park. And mm -hmm. everything that they've done has been successful. Mm -hmm. To the point that today it's a landmark. Yeah. Chicano Park is a landmark, national landmark. And if it's a national landmark, it's going to be a national, internationally. Because when I went to Russia, I mentioned Chicano Park mm -hmm. to the assembly that I, that I addressed. Mm -hmm. 13 days in Russia. Mm -hmm. Moscow, St. Petersburg, and Perm, the Cold War city. Oh. We addressed 300 medical doctors in different fields and students of medicine. And, and let me tell you, they love English, man. They love English. I could tell you more stories about that, but the, the opera, culturally the opera, wow. Even though it was in Russia, you could understand it. The ballet, mm. cultural activities, man, god damn. Mm. And Bringing it back, I'm going to bring it back to the pillar. And so many people in the Chicano community have suffered from racism, just have been through an ongoing struggle throughout their lives and just have probably have some sort of trauma from everything that has occurred. And in what ways might you see that your pillar can provide a bridge towards healing for the Chicano community? Well, once again, music... It's very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. You'll be surprised what you can do with music, okay? All these ballads that we sing have some relationship to making things better, okay? Mm -hmm. Social justice, yeah. change for the better. And music does all that. Mm. And uh, one of the songs that uh, we can really focus on as being very important in, the, in, in Chicano Park is Chicano Park Samba. It began in 1970 under the Coronado Bridge in my barrio de la Logan. When my people begin to fight for Chicano Park under the bridge, for Chicano Park under the bridge, we shall continue to fight my brother. We shall continue to fight my friend. We shall continue to fight my brother. We shall continue to fight my friend for Chicano Park in the always. Under the bridge, won't you go to park under the bridge? Mm. Won't you go to park under the bridge? Hey, this resonates. Mm. And I have a question about your music. Do you do you take inspiration from the like revolutionary protest music during the Mexican Revolution? Because I know that oh, that was yeah. very popular. Our women soldiers during the revolution of 1910, called Las Adelitas, mm -hmm. headed by that heroic, iconic figure, okay? The diva, La Delita, La Valentina, Juan Lagayo, Dionisia Villarino, from Baja California. They all had their areas, 
they, they mm -hmm. control. And uh, yes, there are songs that depict that, the, the heroics. Mm -hmm. Then the men, of course, everybody knows Pancho Villa, Emiliano Zapata. Mm. And then we have some not very popular figures like Porfirio Diaz, but Porfirio Diaz began the railroad mm -hmm. from Mexico. Yeah. Benito Juarez, the only, one and only Native American, and I, I, I shy away from calling Indian, okay, because once again, we are not Indians. Mm -hmm. I'm part Yaqui, part Mescalero, mm -hmm. Apache. Yeah, I'm part I'm Indian. Side, huh? I'm part Indian. Really? Yeah, my grandma's from Calcutta. Well, India. you're an Indian. See, <laughs> you're a real Indian. <laughs> We're, we're natives, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't say Native American either, but we're all Americans. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And around that question of American, what is your relationship with um, with the, the city of Tijuana and just things south of the border? Well, my other duty as a musician, I have a musical trio, and I played in different places. Okay. Okay. And some of these players are from Tijuana. Mm -hmm. So we have, they, in Tijuana they know me as a musician, okay? okay. They, don't, they don't know me by Pepe. And mm -hmm. then of course they know the Romanticos. And uh, so I'm very well known among the musicians there. As a matter of fact, one of my students in my evening class was in the Border Patrol, okay? A big dude named Boy Patrol. And I, and I gave a talk about the border, but the green cards and all of that, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he invited me to go play at his house with other Border Patrol people. I mean, Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I told him, so I said, you know what? Some of these, my musicians told me, why not? They can do whatever they want. But they, they, we, we played a couple of times for him. And then they, later on he moved to Spain. He's got a very important position there. Good friend of mine. Hmm. He, was, he was very impressive with my talk on the Border Patrol. Hmm. And in terms of your performances, what, what was your most meaningful live performance to you where you played music? In 1972, 74, one of the Rondaya members, Miguel Vasquez, in one of our particular gigs, it was probably in India or in Fresno, we were doing a gig, uh, a gig. Joan Baez was there. You know that activist lady? Okay. And she invited us to go do a recording with her. No nos moverán. You know, we, we, that's one of our songs, you heard No nos moverán. So we did it in Hollywood. Oh. At the same time, simultaneously, Gibson was there doing a recording, Brown Eyed Children of the Sun, Danny Valdez. Mm -hmm. He was, I thought he was doing some. And now we do Brown Eyed Children of the Sun, incidentally, our own version. But that was one of the highlights, okay? Mm. okay. And of course, the other highlights were just being with Cesar. Cesar Chavez, in the evening, he would sit with us and he. He was a vegetarian. He would get a big bowl of nopales and cilantro and then he'd ask for two songs. Me voy para el pueblo. 
proposed by a woman activist. Mm. And Sawada Me. Sawada Me because it's very, it's a loyal song, okay? If you stick to your partner, and that's what it says. Sawada Me, a taste of me. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do a lot of crossovers from English to Spanish to Spanish mm -hmm. to English. So some lend themselves to do, to do that, you know. Others don't. But uh, some, Chunky does an English version of Sawada Me in one of the albums. And what is the favorite song? What is your favorite song that you've made? Oh, man. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta... Yeah, because... See, what I like to do, I like to analyze a song. Yeah. I like to analyze a song grammatically. Okay? When you see the preterite and imperfect in a song, you know what they're doing? They're flirting with each other. Están coqueteando los unos con los otros. El pretérito termina la acción, continúa, continúa la acción en el pasado, deteniendo el tiempo. Y el imperfecto lo continúa, el perfecto, y lo describe. And I like to see that, and how, how they work together. The subjunctive, oh my goodness, that's, oh. it's bad. In the, in the Spanish, it's nice, man. Mm -hmm. Could you give like an example of how like some, or like some lyrics that you would use that kind of like show, that demonstrate the, um, the flirting between the preterito and imperfecto? Well, any any time that you any time that you sing a ballad, you're talking about the past. Mm. So what are you talking about? Past tenses, preterite, mm -hmm. imperfect, and it's there. Okay. The the subjunctive. Te vas porque yo quiero que te vayas. Mm. You haven't left any place. Hey, the subjunctive is never there, but it's there. <laughs> you know, you use it, but just it doesn't come about, but only in speech. And then la media vuelta las tienes. I was thinking of, of, of one that uh, the Mexican composer is very astute and very clever, especially those that are from of Indian heritage. They like yeah. to personify things. Mm -hmm. They they like to make trees human. Plants, human, they do it in no song. No tiene la culpa el sol, que el indio no tenga techo. ¿Qué culpa tiene el sol que el indio no tenga techo? He doesn't have a sh shade. It's not, sun doesn't give a damn about that. And it could be a girlfriend that doesn't give a damn about you. <laughs> See, that's a metaphor, okay? Mm -hmm. So, la, la, la espiga. Listen to the speaker. It's, it's, it's all there, man. They say, Si a los veintino es un sol, a los treinta una luna. Si a los cuarenta ego, no dejes ir a ninguna, porque te castiga Dios. And plants do that, you know. They work against each other. They live and they die. They multiply. So uh, what I like to do is just, I like to analyze songs, hmm. and uh, some people take a long story. There's, there's a a song by I think it's Jose Perales, a Spaniard, that uh, composed composed a well popular song. Uh, it says, 
And who is he? In what place did he fall in love with you? Okay? Mm -hmm. And he's telling this girl who is it. And uh, he even accepts the fact that she is seeing somebody else. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, there's a close relationship there. And some say that it's her father that that's saying that doesn't want to get lose his daughter. But hey, but that's not, you know, look at it. Look at it. ¿Y quién es él? ¿En qué lugar se enamoró de ti? Pregúntale, ¿en qué dedica el tiempo libre? Es un ladrón que me ha robado todo. Sí, he is a, a thief that has stolen everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a, a lot of songs that, that these Europeans composed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Argentinas have a lot of love songs then. Como han pasado los años. That's for Roberto Levi, Argentino. And who influenced you the most to become a musician? Was there anyone in your family? Uh, my, my parents. Nice. Yeah. My, okay. my dad played a little guitar, not, you know. My mother played a little guitar. My aunt taught me the key of G. Mm. And uh, I was too small to finger key G this way, so I had to do it this way. I think it was those And see, I would do this two fingers, because I couldn't reach it. Mm. But I could tell when music needed to be changed. See, every mm. time the music changes, the note... Hey, see, there's linguistic, musical linguistics here. The notes talk to you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't obey the notes, it's never going to come out. So, you develop a sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I played trumpet for now 10 years. So, yeah, I'm a little oh, bit musician myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my son was taking up trumpet, David. Hmm. And let me ask you this. Are you happy with the legacy that you have created and the impacts that you've made in the Chicano community in San Diego? Well, you know, it's, it, we, we have a legacy, okay? okay. Because we've, we've been practically everywhere. And, but I don't think our legacy is over yet. I think mm -hmm. we've got other things okay. that we need to do. Mm -hmm. That bucket list, instead mm -hmm. of emptying, it keeps on filling up. Mm -hmm. And, but... Yeah, there is. We, we have that particular legacy of doing the things that we have done. Mm -hmm. And what are some of those things that you want to continue to do? I continue to, well, I've got a couple of books that I haven't finished. Okay. One is Pedagogy of Music and Culture, which deals mm -hmm. with the teaching of Spanish through music. It's got okay. 26 songs, okay? Wow. And so we deal with everything there. We analyze the songs. Mm -hmm. We. First of all, we record the songs, okay? We mm -hmm. have a, a tape. Nowadays, you get a little chip mm -hmm. where you can put all kinds of things in there. Yeah. And so, uh, we deal with that. We analyze the songs. Through that particular book, you learn how to read, write, analyze. And we, we go through all, of, all those nuances. Mm. And then they have the... Cantando se aprende, singing is learning, but it's a children's song book. Okay. It's got six songs with with pictures and musical notes for 
those that wanted, and teaching children literature through music. Hmm. Wow. And there's three dimensions because they learn, first of all, you learn how, hey, how do you learn first? You sightsee. Mm -hmm. You go to the store, you don't know how to read or write, but mama is looking for something and she doesn't see uh, Where is it? Oh, there it is, mom. Then we can't tell you where it's at. Because he cites it, reading. And so, cantando se aprende, does that, you sight read. Okay. You learn how to sing it by memorizing it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you are writing the song with accents and all. You don't tell them what accents are, but mm -hmm. they will know where they go by writing it. And then, of course, they're reading it. Mm -hmm. There's several dimensions in, in, in this particular yeah. singing is, is learning. Mm -hmm. Finish that. Yeah, that sounds like it's very intellectually stimulating with all the different ways you it, can it, learn. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I got to do with that, I got to get some kids to record these songs because I can record them, but I you know, it, it won't resonate. Like, if it's some kids singing, I'll jump. these little kids are going to love it. They hear it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking at uh, the possibility of getting some kids to record it. Nice. And then it's going to be a learning situation for them, too. And now you know it's easy to publish because Amazon will publish it for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, McGraw-Hill, I was lucky to get him to... I was lucky. Lo que pasa que in academia, there's a lot of jealousy, man. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of jealousy. Even in your own department. Yeah. It, everybody's trying to outdo me. <laughs> they can't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they can't get 250 students in the class. Yeah. <laughs> Partner, you can erase that. <laughs> can you talk a little more about the song Nonos Moveran? Well, to begin with, Joan Baez asked us to do that recording. Okay through an interview with Miguel Vasquez. And we went to Hollywood and did it. Okay? Mm. And uh, she did it in her album, Gracias a la Vida, which is very popular. And everywhere we go, we, we sing it, we shall not be moved. And that's exactly what it says. You mm. can do whatever you want, but here, we ain't going any place. We're staying here, mm. you know. Uh, we've been here for even though it doesn't say so, we've been here thousands of years. And wh yeah. where have you been here? Here. So when I ask you, why don't you go to where you came from? I, this is where I came from. I mean, thousands of years. I'm not going anywhere. And that's why we say, aquí estamos y no nos vamos. We're here, we ain't going nowhere, part of the, the triple negative. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they that's great. And is it true that this song is in the Smithsonian? Yes, and done by La Rondaya Merindia de Aslan, and we're very proud of it. And uh, it's uh, part of that uh, whole musical scenario that Chunky took with him. Mm -hmm. And La Rondaya Merindia is part of that. And Chunky was part of La Rondaya Merindia then. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 1972. Yeah. And no nos moverán. Mm. And how does that feel to have your song like recognized on such like a national level, like to be displayed to all? Hey, it's it's a feeling. 
that you can describe because mm -hmm. it, it's it's uplifting. Yeah, it, it it's a fantastic feeling. You know, mm -hmm. it's there. People go to the Smithsonian, and people are reading this. Mm. No, yeah. it's it's like I say, one of a kind feelings. Mm -hmm. If I can put it that way. Yeah, I gotta go to the Smithsonian and check it out. I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> And before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or anything else that you would like to say? Well, my final thoughts are that all of this had to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. It had to come to fruition since 1970s. They're growing and growing and growing, okay? okay? It's an ongoing thing. Who made it possible? The Chicano Park Steering Committee, okay? They made it possible. Tommy Camarillo, mm -hmm. great visionary. Isabel Sanchez, Constanzo, LeBlanc, Alberto Pulido, and all of the they have a job to do, and they do it. And if you don't do it, hey, <laughs> you better answer why. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, they are the ones that made it possible on December 2016 to make Chicano Park a landmark. Mm -hmm. Okay. That had been their particular goal all the time, and they fought for it. Self-determination, si se puede, mm -hmm. it's here. That trolley with the tourists, they stopped in Chicano Park. I saw them the other day, unloading stupid. Oh, man, they're flabbergasted, Alberto. Man, they look all They're in a new world. That's how they feel. And then Diego Reyes brought a whole mess of students, man. And they're just <laughs> they're grown-ups, okay, adults. He brought him to give him a give him a tour of uh, Chicano Park and all the surroundings. Then of course you got Queso there, man, with with his particular antics. <laughs> oh man, the curator of Chicano Park. No, when I go to Chicano Park, and let me tell you, I feel good. I have a a, a feeling. Mm -hmm. I, it's a feeling in me. And then I see the Union del Barrio. Union del Barrio is Ernesto Ernesto Bustillos. And his cohort, Steve, uh, I forget his last name, they were in my music class before before the the, uh, the barrio thing started, okay? Barrios Unidos. The Brown Berets, Enrico. Now, he wasn't in my class, but every time I'm with them, I know I'm safe. Because they, they keep security right along with the police, but hey, they out secure the police. Because they're there. And they don't take any money, you know. You know I've always been tempted to pick up a, do a collection of, when I'm talking up there, oh, no collection, but, 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 but I don't want them to jump on me. But they deserve everything. Hmm. All right. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs>